With the weather turning a little colder, it does remind us of the seasons changing. I see more coats uh, this morning than we've had in previous Sundays. And you look around outside and it's just, it's beautiful with the different colors of the leaves, the bright oranges and yellows and reds, and now they're beginning to fall off the trees. And before you know it, the season will change again and there'll be snow on the ground, it'll be winter and soon after spring and then summer and then fall again. It's just, it's life, right? Seasons change. And life kind of works that way too, doesn't it? That we, that we go through different series, uh, seasons in our life, seasons of excitement, seasons of joy, seasons of thanksgiving, maybe when you get married or when you have a child or you get a new job or you buy a house or something, but seasons of joy and excitement and thanksgiving. And then, and then those things that you were so excited for and so thankful for, you realize you need wisdom in how to kind of navigate those things, right? That, that child, that new baby that you were so thrilled with, now you realize, hey, I've got to parent this kid and so, so that he can be or, or she can be functional in this society and the challenges that come with that. You know, I, I need wisdom for that. The same thing with marriage that, hey, you're so excited, but then that Prince Charming, that princess, well, there's some flaws there too. And so how, how do two imperfect people kind of get along and make marriage work? We need wisdom. And with all of life, we all have periods where we just end up in places where we never thought we'd end up. And we say things we wish we hadn't have said, and we do things we wish we hadn't have done. And there are seasons where we just need restoration, where we need to be restored in, in different relationships and things that we do, different seasons. Well, we're launching a new series this week. It's titled, A Song for Every Season. And we'll be looking through some selected psalms. And they are songs, really, uh, some of the most beautiful poetry ever written. And these songs, inspired by God, they kind of walk us through both the ups, the downs, and all the in-betweens of life, all the seasons of life, and how we can relate to God, how to relate to God in every season of life, how we can have that transforming influence on our culture with how we relate to God. I'm so excited to begin this uh, short but practical and I hope encouraging uh, series with you, a song for every season. So we'll get started this morning in Psalm chapter 1. You can go ahead, turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. And as we read this psalm together, you can almost imagine for a moment just a songwriter stepping up to lead God's people uh, in their worship, to sing worship to God. You know, before with Moses, he, he had always led the Israelite people to worship God without music or singing, really. But now David, he comes in and the other psalmists come in, almost like Mozart, and they guide God's people to sing to God and, and, and to worship God through music. You, you look at Psalm 68, and he's even got the whole thing all choreographed, this, the entire event. And so that a transformed people, can, can get just a little bit of a taste of heaven through their worship of God in the Psalms. And it, it, it just describes this passionate relationship that a transformed people are able to have with this triune God. And the introductory psalm, the introductory song is, is Psalm chapter 1. And it's a great song 
to sing, when you need a little bit of wisdom in your life, when, when you're kind of thinking, how, how, how do I navigate these waters ahead? What, what do I do? Psalm 1 is a great place to turn. So let's go ahead and check out the lyrics together. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Some of you, you may remember that great uh, baseball player from years ago, Yogi Berra, the great Yankee. And he had a bunch of iconic just statements, sayings. And uh, one of his sayings was, when you get to a fork in the road, take it. And so that, that's kind of where we're at here. There, there's a fork in the road. This is what the song offers you, a fork in the road. And one path, it leads to a path of wisdom. The other path leads to death. One leads to life. The other leads to foolishness. One to blessing, the other to misery. A path for the wise, a path for the foolish. And the choice really is, which path will you choose? And the songwriter, he gives us the preferred destination right at the beginning. He, he kind of describes it for us, and sometimes we can read right over it, but he shows us that pot of gold. He says, blessed is the man. And that's what we all want. We all want to be the blessed man, the blessed woman. This is what we're after, and this is what he says, blessed is the man. Some of your translations may say happy. It's a valid translation, but it's kind of just scrapping at the surface of this meaning. It, this, this is a, a full, deep, rich, complete, total fulfillment that, that you have grown into the person that, that Christ has called you to be, that you were created to be. And, and blessing, it means to be full. It, it, it's deep, it's, it's rich for the Christian. It is to live a life empowered by the living presence of the resurrected Christ so that as you live your life, you do not only do so with your power and your authority, but the authority and the power of God stands behind you in everything that you do. And so when you walk into a situation, you carry his power, his authority with you. You enter into it with a, a different kind of power than just your own. That, that you bring the power of Christ into each moment of your life. And that, that's what it means to be blessed. It means to be full, to be rich. And, and you've, you've become aligned with God, so aligned with God, that His Holy Spirit is not quenched, but it just overflows out of you to impact the situation, to impact the people, to impact creation. The, the mission that, that Jesus uh, it has been given and has given to us is to restore what was lost, to restore what was lost in the fall. And so we, a blessed people, a transformed people, we're called into the brokenness of our creation. We're called to the broken people at our, at our jobs and our, our broken neighbors, our broken family, our broken friends. We're, and we're given this mandate, this mission to restore what was broken, 
to, to lead them to the only one who can restore it, Jesus. And, and that's what it means to be blessed. This is the pot of gold that we're after, living the way that the Creator God designed life to be lived. Blessed is the man who does these things. And it's real interesting because when he starts it, the first thing that the blessed man does in this song is to say no. Did you catch that? The blessed man, he does not walk with certain people. He does not stand with certain people. He does not sit with certain people. There, there are ways that transformed people do, do not walk. There, there are ways, there are people with whom it is not helpful to be around. And so the question becomes, what do your companions say about your destination? Who are you traveling with says a great deal about the place to which you are going. You ever thought about that? The, the, the people I surround and I live my life with, my closest friends, they say a lot about where I'm heading. Who are you around? Are they helping you get to where you want to go? Because if you want to be the blessed man, here's the fork in the road. And there are people who are going to lead you down to a way of foolishness, and there are people who will guide you to a way of wisdom. And you know it's true. I mean, if you play any sport, or if you want to learn to play a musical instrument, or if you want to learn to do anything, you want to hang around with people who are better at it than you do. I mean, we talked earlier about the basketball thing going on on Tuesday nights and all the guys playing there. And if you want to be better at basketball, you want to play basketball with guys who are better than you. It doesn't do you any good to play with people who are worse than you. You never get better that way. If you want to learn to play a musical instrument, you want to learn from someone who can play the instrument and play it better than you can. If, if you want to learn to be a godly Christian, what it looks like to live the godly life, then you hang out with people who are a little bit further down the road than you are. It just makes sense. It's how life is designed to be lived, that who your traveling companions are, who your closest friends are, it says a lot about where you're going. And your path determines your destination. We all have seasons where we need wisdom. And here's the first lesson. Your path determines your destination. What path you take and who you take it with will determine where you're headed. Now, a lot of us, we've ended up in situations where we just never imagined we'd be. We never thought that, I, I, I never dreamed that I'd end up here. And we kind of look back and we can almost ask the question, how did I end up here? You know, what, what happened in my life that led me to this point? But, you know, if you, if you look at it, you get on I-264 uh, East, and you start heading east, and you know you're going to end up in Norfolk. You get on I-664, and you head north, and you know you're going to end up in Newport News. You just know how that's, you just know that's how it's going to work, and you've got signs along the way telling you, hey, you're heading to Norfolk, you're heading to Norfolk, New, Newport News, and when you get there, it shouldn't really be a surprise that, hey, this is where I ended up. There were signs along the way. There were, there were guides along the way telling you this is where you're headed. The same thing happens in life. That we've got people who are like guideposts and, and, and we can kind of look at them and the choices that we're making and who we're hanging out with and what we're doing. And then you, you, you just re-step the, the footprints 
of where you've traveled and what you've done and the choices you've made, and then it's no surprise, well, surely this is why I ended up here. That it all comes back together. It all fits together. So we've got to choose our path. We've got to choose our companions wisely. We've got to learn to say no sometimes. And we talk about getting on the right path, you know, oftentimes we talk about repentance. And sometimes we have this idea that repentance is just feeling really, really bad. That, that repentance is just making an apology. And it is that, but, but the idea of repentance is that you're headed down one road, and then you stop. And you look and you say, I don't want to go down this road anymore. So I stop and I say, no, I'm not going down that road anymore. This road is not going to take me where I want to go. I don't want to go down this road. And you stop. And then repentance involves turning around and saying, yes, I want to travel down this road. This path takes me where I want to go, so I'm saying yes to this road. Repentance involves a no, but it also involves turning and saying yes, yes to something else. And in the life of a Christian, it's saying yes to Jesus. It's saying, yes, I, I want the, my closest traveling companion in life to be Jesus. R repentance involves a turn. It's saying no to sin, no to all these choices that are leading me to a place that I don't want to end up. And then turning and saying yes to Jesus, that this is the path I want to take. It's not just saying no, it's also saying yes. But the first thing that the believers have to learn to do is to say no is to say, no, I, I don't want to go down that road. And these people who I'm choosing to surround myself with, to be my closest friends, closest advisors, they're, they're leading me down a wrong path. I've got to turn and I've got to say no to that and say yes to something else. And you know, there's a lot of that going on in the world. I mean, there's so many voices out there vying for your attention, telling you, hey, listen to me and we'll get you where you want to go. You know, you watch the news, and, you know, we've mentioned it before, but the news, all it does is depress you, really. N nobody turns on the news to get encouraged. Like, oh, you know, th it, this will really brighten up my day. Let's, let's see what the newscasters are saying today. No, I, all it does is depress you, because you listen to it, and after a while, you start to think, you know, these, these experts, they're no smarter than any of us, right? And there's this, we become cynical, and we live right now in a very cynical society. And the word cynical, it has the same root word as cyanide. It's the same root word. It's poison. And we live in a very poisonous attitude time right now where we look at things and there's always someone else to blame. You know, it's always their fault, their fault, their fault. No, nobody ever takes responsibility. They can always point the finger, well, this is why things are bad. It's because of them. It's because of them. It's their fault. It's always somebody else's fault. There's always someone to blame. But here's an important truth for the Christian. It's that the power of the res resurrection of Jesus, it gives you and me the freedom of not being a victim anymore. That, that we're, we're not the victim of somebody else's decisions. Now, they can make all the decisions they want, but we're not the victim of their decisions. You have the power through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to choose how you will respond to each and every moment of your life. You can choose to be a victim 
Or you can choose to be more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Yes, the decisions of others, they impact us, they affect us, but they don't have to define us any longer. This is the power of the resurrection. And in order for that to be the case in life and and for you to define yourself the way Jesus defines you, in order to have that type of wisdom, you have to create some capacity, some margin in your life by just saying no to stuff. By saying, no, I can't do that. I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to hang around those people. You have to look at where you're spending your time and just ask the question, okay, is this life-giving? Is this helpful? Is this advancing me down the path I want to go? Or am I just headed down the path of foolishness? And to do that, I think a big thing for us as Christians in our society is we got to get control of our time. I mean, time is so fleeting, and everyone almost says, hey, I'm busy. It's like the universal thing. I'm busy, busy, busy. Everybody's busy. And think of your schedule and how you schedule your week and what you spend your time doing. How do you spend your time? you got to get control of your cell phone, right? How much time are you on your cell phone? When I used to lead uh, mission trips with uh, youth, one of the rules was, hey, you had to leave your cell phones at home. And for some of those students, you would have thought that like I was stealing from them or something, right? That no, I cannot part with my cell phone. But I know how it is. You know how it is, right? You, you have your cell phone with you. It's in your pocket. And you feel that buzz or you hear it go off. And instantaneously, you, you just want to pull it out and see, okay, what's the alert? Who's messaging me? What do they want? And we almost feel like this, well, I have to text them back right now. It deserves an immediate response. It can be the same thing with email. Oh, I got this email. I need to email them back right away. They deserve an immediate response. I felt the buzz. I got, I've got to respond to it. This is it. The earth stands still until I can find out who it is who's contacting me, what they want, what the message is. And so we no longer control our lives. It's our technology. It's, it's the, the device that tends to tell us what to do, how to spend our time. And we're living in a society where we feel like we've got to respond to everything right away. I read about a guy who, on January 1st each year, he goes out and he buys himself a new calendar. And he opens the calendar up. And he goes through every single day of the year, 365 days, and he writes the word something. He writes the word something 365 times for every day of the year. And that way, when someone gives him a call and says, hey, can you go, can you, do, can, can you hang out with us on this day? And he responds, no, I have on that day. And you know, it works. Because if you have something, no one's going to argue with that. Oh, he's got something. Okay, we'll let him go. Isn't it interesting? If you were to say, well, you know, I don't know if I really want to, then what happens? Then they argue and plead with you. Oh, no, come on. You really should. It's going to be fun. You should join us. But if you say, I have something, oh, well, he has something. Okay, we'll let him go. No argument there. It's too bad he can't come. So we've, we've got to create some margin where... We create some time, and in order to walk the path of wisdom, we've got to get control of our time. And if you say that, hey, I just have no time, just think it through. How much time do you spend watching television? 
How much time do you spend surfing the web? You know, we thought the internet was going to be so great, and, and, and it does a lot of great things. I mean, you can shop online, you can do business online, you can do all kinds of things online, but you also, you watch people, and they're watching videos of, like, singing cats and stuff online. I mean, it, just such time wasters, you know, where you can just surf the web and see all kinds of stuff. And we have to learn it's at some point to disconnect ourselves from that stuff. And it's going to result in moments where people are going to be hanging around talking and they're going to, hey, did you hear that? Did you see that? And they're saying, no, I missed that. And that's what's going to happen. I didn't, I didn't catch that. I didn't happen to notice that. But why did you miss it? Why did you not happen to notice it? It's because you had to create some capacity in your life to study Scripture. This is what Psalm 1 is saying. That I've delighted, the blessed man delights himself in the law of the Lord. That he meditates on the Scriptures. This is what the blessed man, the blessed woman does. Is There's capacity in life to spend time studying the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures. That's, that's the word there in, in verse uh, 2, I think. And sometimes, you know, we get this idea of meditating as if you're, you're just kind of sit, uh, seated down in the most comfortable chair in your house, and you've got a nice especially this time of year, just a nice blanket that you're just kind of snuggling up in, and maybe there's the, the lighting's dimmed a little bit, some soft music going on in the background, and you're sipping on just your favorite cup of hot apple cider or coffee or tea or whatever. But that's not meditation at all. That, that really misses the whole purpose of the word. Th- this word could also be translated to chew or to gnaw. G-N-A-W, gnaw, that that you just kind of tear into it. One commentator, he described it this way. I don't know if there's any dog people in the room, but this is how he described it. He said that you give your dog a bone, okay, and the dog takes the bone and he takes it into into the yard somewhere and he hides it, and then he comes back and he wants to see if you have any more bones for him. And then once he determines that there are no more bones, he waits for a little while till you're not really paying attention. Then he goes and he finds the bone. And when he finds the bone and he has it all to himself, that he just relishes the bone. That he just chews it and he gnaws on it and he just tears into it. And then he takes the bone to another place in the yard and he continues to do the same thing. That he just spends time with this bone. He just enjoys this bone. That's the picture of Psalm 1. That's the picture of meditation. That, that's what a blessed man does, that he just tears into the Scripture, that he gnaws on it, that he chews it, that he just reads it, and he reads it again, and he reads it again, and he reads it again, that he holds it in his mind, the Word of God, so tightly that when you stop on a red light, it's just coming out. It's top of mind. That, that he chews on the word so much that he's walking and living his life with friends. That this conversation of the scriptures just comes out because this is what he's chewing on. He just can't leave it inside. That it has to come out. Isn't that the picture that we get in Deuteronomy chapter 6? I mean, these are the things that you talk about when you rise up and when you lie down. 
These are the things that you talk about as you walk on your way, as you walk the road. This is the substance of our conversations. See, see when you're learning and, and you're reading a story, and you say, I'm just so fascinated by the story that I've read in the Bible. Have you ever heard it? I'd sure like to, to tell you. Or have you ever read in the scriptures where it says this, I'm having a little bit of difficulty understanding. What, what does it mean? Can you help me with that? But th- it just comes out. It is the essence of what we talk about because it is the essence of who we are becoming. Th- there, there are a lot of great books out there. And I hope you spend time, I hope you're a reader, I hope you spend time reading. But no book ever replaces Scripture in the life of the believer. No book ever replaces Scripture in the life of the believer. I, I can remember um, one of my old professors, Howard Hendricks, and he was talking one day, and he was saying that if he had his life to live over again, he would have spent more time reading the Scriptures in less time with other books. And he was a prolific student of the Scriptures. I mean, he, he studied the Scriptures as, as much or more than anybody I believe I've ever met, but he said if he had it to do over again, he would have read it and studied it even more because he knows that these are the words of life, that these are the words to live by. No other book gives you that. So read the scriptures, and if if he could do one thing, it was to get his students to simply read the word. Not reading books about the Bible, that's fine and good, it can be helpful, but read the word. Spend time studying the scriptures. Maybe this week, if you haven't read the Bible in a long time, just open up perhaps to the Gospel of Mark and read the Gospel of Mark. And then maybe go to Matthew and Luke and John. Then maybe read through Acts or uh, the letter from Paul to the Ephesians or maybe even the Psalms or a proverb a day, something. But read the Scriptures. Read, read, read. Read the Scriptures. And yes, you have time. Or you can make time. You can create that capacity, that margin. We all have time for things that are really important to us, but this is what it takes for that miracle to happen, for that tree to grow. It takes time. I think one of the reasons why people get frustrated reading the Bible is because we're just a very impatient people. You know, we're a type of people who stand in front of a microwave and yell, hurry. (laughs) This idea... Of, of stopping and just waiting and just reading and, and knowing that it's going to be a long process. This is foreign to us. See, we, we want a fast food Christianity, you know, where you can just drive through the fast food line and say, yeah, I'd like an order, a burger, some fries, and a side of the fruit of the Spirit, and that would be great. We want a microwave fast food Christianity, and you can't. It just doesn't work that way. The the way of wisdom, the path of wisdom is not one step. It's a series of steps. It's the walk of the course of your life. That's the way of wisdom. I think it's why Jesus talked a lot about agriculture. He used a lot of agricultural illustrations when he spoke. And part of it is, I mean, I don't know much about agriculture, but I know this. You plant a seed and you wait you water the seed and you wait. That There are just seasons. You plant in spring or whatever and then the harvest in fall. That, that there are seasons that it just doesn't happen overnight. 
that it's a, over a course, a long, long process, a long amount of time. So sometimes we'll read the scriptures for two or three days and we'll be really serious about it. And then we'll think, you know, this isn't working. I don't know if I can really tell the difference in my life. I'm not even sure if I'm understanding what I'm reading. Is it really working? Is it having any impact? And so we go back to the bookstore and we find that book. Oh, 10 Steps to a Fulfilled Life. Yeah, I'll take that one. This will be much quicker. Or we make an appointment with a counselor. Oh, yeah, he can tell me, she can tell me what I need to do, and that'll be a whole lot simpler. I'll just do that. See, sometimes we can't see the transformational effects that is happening through Scripture right away. And it's because that the work that is going on is in the roots of your soul. It's in the deep places of your life that you find this nourishment in the Scriptures. This is the picture of Psalm 1. It's, it's a tree planted by water, and the tree will never go tall, grow tall if the roots don't go deep. Most of our culture, unfortunately, sadly, even our Christian culture, they end up leaving, leading shallow, superficial lives. They, they never experience that tall tree, that full, rich, deep life of being the blessed man or woman that we were called and created to be because we get too caught up in the circumstances of life, in the busyness of life, responding to this event and then that event and this and that and this and that. And we have all these plates spinning and we think we have to hold them all up ourselves and we never take the time to cultivate a deep life with Christ. And so the roots don't grow. They don't go, grow, go deep. And my wife and I, our kids, we've always lived a considerable distance from family. We've never really lived where you can just drive, you know, 10, 15 minutes and be at grandma's house or anything like that. And so whenever we do visit family, you know, a couple times a year, uh, inevitably, they will always say, oh, wow, the kids have grown up. They're so tall, you know. They notice it because they see them just a couple times a year. We're with them every single day, and we can look back on the height charts, and we can see, and we can kind of know, yeah, they're growing taller. I mean, we know it, but each and every day, we miss the growth. We're too close to it. I, I, I don't notice if they grew any from last night to this morning. I can't tell. And then a week or a month or whatever goes by, and yeah, I tell they're getting taller, but I, I, do, I can't see the growth really happening. This is how it can be with Scripture sometimes, that we don't notice it. That, that it's having this transformative effect in the deep places of our soul, and so we're becoming different people. And you might think to yourself, I don't know that this is working. I don't know that if anything is happening, what difference is this really making in my life? But what is interesting is your friends and your family, they will often notice it first. And they will say, you know, you don't really lose your temper as much as you used to. You know, you used to worry about stuff all the time, and now there's this peace about you. You used to get frustrated real quickly, and, and now you're, you're just patient. You know, you know the way when, if, if other people would have said that before, you would have responded real harsh, but, but now there's this gentleness to you. You know, your, your language, the way you used to speak, you know, it was totally different, but now you've kind of cleaned up your act a little bit. 
You may not even notice it, but the people around you will begin to notice. As you walk with God and you let the Scripture do its work in your life, that it happens. It happens in the deep places of who you are, and slowly but surely, Jesus is conforming you into his image. And it's happening. The roots are growing deep when you spend time studying the Scriptures. You're walking with Jesus. In in Galatians 5, it, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is being produced in your life. That as you walk with God, this is what's happening. That as you're nourishing this root system of who you are and the core of who you are to be, that then fruit is being produced in your life. But if you don't have a steady diet of God's Word, if you don't delight in God's law, if you don't meditate on God's Word, you will live a shallow life, always concerned about the next thing, about what's happening on the surface of life. And we all know that the weather changes, that circumstances of life change, that we all have these seasons of life. We all go through the ups and the downs and the in-betweens of life. But if our root system goes deep, then we will stand tall in the midst of every season through any storm. I mean, just, just think about it. You and I, we have the privilege of opening up the Word of God in the presence of the author, each and every day. And he he gives us access to him, where he invites us into this conversation, and he says, hey, pray for wisdom. Pray for understanding. Pray for application that, that you can do, that you not just be a hearer of the word, but that you will be a doer of the word. Pray for all that. Enter into this conversation with me. And any teacher, you know, one of the... Um, The primary titles of Jesus through the Gospels was rabbi, teacher. And any teacher loves a good student. I mean, any good teacher, you know, if you put a student out there who is eager to learn, and teachers love that, right? Because here's a student, they're invested. They want to learn. They're willing to read. They'll do whatever they can to to advance. And so they're going to pour into that student. And you you and I can be that kind of student of Jesus, of the Bible, Or we say, I just want to know more. I want to to see more. I want to apply more. And transformation happens. Seasons change. Storms come. But you'll never be taken down by them. Because everything about you and every circumstance that touches your life will be better because of the root system that is nourishing your life. That that fruit that is produced in you, others will come along and they will pick that fruit. And they will be a beneficiary of that fruit. That your gentleness, your kindness, your love, they will benefit from that. The psalmist, he gives us this picture of the wicked produces a type of fruit, just leaves that are just scattered. And you look around outside and we kind of almost get the picture this time of year. Where the leaves fall wherever and the wind blows them here and there and they're all over our yards and all this kind of stuff. And they just go here and there wherever the winds of life takes them. This is the way of the wicked. Hey, what do I need to be happy? Oh, I need this. I need that. I need that. And the latest fads, they come and go because they lack the depth to last. There's no root system there. The heat of the day just burns it off. The cold of the winter just freezes them away. It's only when you have that deep 
root system that you stand strong through every season. But this is the consequence of the wicked path, that you're just blown here and there. You won't be able to stand in the day of judgment. The wicked is cast away, eternal death. This is the path of wickedness. It leads to death. And you you walk by all these signs in life, and they're telling you where, where this path is taking you. They're letting you know. And one of, the, one of the first signs, especially with people in the church, is the psalmist to say, they can't stand in the congregation of the righteous. One, one of the first signs you know that someone's going down the wrong path is that they just can't come to church anymore. They don't show up here anymore because, hey, if you have a problem with Jesus, you sure don't want to be around his people. So if you've noticed someone who's kind of dropped out, someone who you used to see here a lot, but hey, I haven't noticed them for a while, you need to give them a call this week and just encourage them. Tell them you're praying for them and that if there's anything you need, be an encouragement to them, to love them. This is what you're called to do. Jesus knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked perishes. You know, God, through Jesus, he doesn't give us a map. He gives us a compass. He gives us a compass to tell us the direction. I grew up in Deltona, Florida. Haven't lived there for a number of years now, but whenever I go back, I almost need my GPS now to get around. I mean, I learned to drive there and everything, but some of my landmarks have been taken away. You know, some of the buildings, they've, they've tore down buildings, they build newer buildings, they've, they've got new roads now, and all this kind of stuff. And so when I go back there, I mean, I have a vague sense, but it's not as, as clear to me. And so I can't get around as good. Landmarks in life change. Circumstances in life change. Seasons in life change. But the direction never changes. The direction of the righteous never changes. And so God gives us a compass in Jesus Christ that in following him that you're always going the right way. That if I, if I stay committed to this, I'm always going in the right direction. That I'll never get turned around. Seasons change, life happens, but if I live my life according to the scriptures, I'm never turned around. Taking the wise path, choosing to say no to certain things, creating some capacity, saying yes to spending time studying God's word, choosing your traveling companions wisely. You do that, and you will live a wise life. You will be that blessed man, that blessed woman. Spend time gnawing on the scriptures. Just read it, read it, and read it again. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only one who has come from the Father, and he's the only one who knows the way back. And so that's why we follow him, because he knows the way. He is the way. We are to be people of the way. So choose, and choose wisely, because you're at a fork in a road. Life is just a series of forks in a road, really. And which path will you choose? The path of wisdom or the path of foolishness? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are a good God, and we thank you that you accompany us 
on this journey of life, that those of us who know you, who have been created by you, called by you, uh, that you've given us directions for life. You've given us the compass for life through your word, through your son. So God, forgive us for when we feel like life is so busy and we have no capacity for you, that when our Bible just kind of sits in our car and only is open up on Sunday mornings, God, help us uh, to rearrange our schedule, to live not a shallow, superficial life blown here and there by the circumstances of life, but a deep, rich, fulfilling life guided through your word. God, help us to do that this week so that we, as you send us off, a transformed people, that we're able to transform others uh, through the power of Jesus. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.